one of my favorite ways to just like lay around the house from reading a book is I'll just go lay on the couch face down. So like you normally uh, what face down. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 294 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm speaking into a canon. I'm Sam and I make marks. Uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is January 17th, 2021. Dunk on everyone. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. We'd also like to thank... Our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net for uh, letting us grab their money and supporting the podcast through money. Thank yeah, you. That's nice. Also, yeah. it's snowing in St. Louis for at the, window. the first time this year so far or something. I mean, it's got, we've got a little tiny, little tiny moments of snow. And this one wasn't still it, hasn't stuck yet, but it, it's been it actually like, uh, It was like six, 60 or 70 degrees around Christmas. Yeah. yeah. It was... No, but that's normal, right? That's nothing to be worried about. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nothing to worry about. I mean, it I'm was, not worried. It did get really cold for a few days last year, so like this is probably all fine. I gotta say, though, drinking a bit of coffee with some hot chocolate powder in it, podcasting with you guys, staring out this window where there's just a gentle snow. F- I'm feeling real at peace today. You know, it's pretty solid. Feeling yeah. real good. Now I'm gonna. I'm going to sort of derail that real quick because That's what I've, been reading, <laughs> I've been reading this book called The Ministry for the Future. Hmm. It's a it's a, a fiction book set in the near in the near future, you know, a few years from now, where uh, the the climate crisis is worsening, and the UN sort of puts together an international organization that ends up people end up call, like it has some kind of dumb bureaucratic name but people end up colloquially calling it the ministry for the future. And like their whole job is to do whatever possible to, you know, make sure we to, have to one stop. Yeah. Stop climate <laughs> change. And the book goes into a lot of like weird sort of tangents about trying to figure out like, what does this even mean? Like, uh, do, do like people who haven't been born yet have legal standing? If you really did do everything possible to preserve the future, like how far would you go if you thought that billions of people were going to die? So it's like this bureaucratic organization that ends up developing like a black ops wing that it's like, oh gosh. <laughs> that ends up like doing literally like whatever it takes, you know, to, to preserve the future. It sounds, gets pretty wild. This is interesting. This almost sounds like a precursor to the, the culture series um, by Ian oh. Banks, which I mentioned before in the podcast. Uh, because in there, they have these AI, like they just call them the minds, right? That basically yeah. run a utopia, right? And I can see that being like the extension of this, mm-hmm. and then further, then it has its own, like it's a u- utopian, you know, society thing. But it has it has its own black ops wing, right, to make sure that the you utopia gotta have stays one. a utopia. <laughs> I mean, you gotta have one. You yeah. can't not have a black ops wing. Nope, you know what I mean? It. Everybody's got one. You don't want to be left out. <laughs> Why don't we have a black ops? Do, well, I mean, maybe. I mean, do we? Do no, that. obviously. No, nope, no. Nope, we we totally certainly don't. don't. We certainly don't have a black ops wing. I know we don't. That's why I'm asking. I don't think anyone one. should look into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't look into it. Uh, hey, Sam. What? I heard you got a heavy ass blanket. Yeah, I want to hear I about did. it. Good <laughs> God. So we, you know, we talk a lot about taking care of yourself. In this podcast, right? We talk a lot about sleeping. 
We do. It's because uh, it's, it's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as you get older, for some reason, it gets harder. You know, both you got you got your various aches and pains. You got other animals or children in the house. Children are also animals, uh, or a partner, which also is an animal. So it's just like the more animals involved, basically, the you more yourself. You're an animal. Just mm-hmm. animals. Just the whole thing. And so you know, we we've been trying to figure out how to how to get that good sleep, and we've talked about it a lot of different stuff on the podcast. Adam has been a big fan of the bed jet. Which is that temperature regulation device for the for uh, for the bed? Yep. We still haven't actually gotten sponsored by them, by the way. So we should probably someday, ask. someday. But we haven't. We definitely haven't asked. We also yeah. haven't asked, and we should probably yeah. make them aware of it. But uh, the this thing I got was a heavy blanket. Now it's heavy on the order of twenty five pounds. Okay, and that's spread across like a probably I think it's like a twin or a king size or queen size right. thing. So, like, any one part of this blanket is, you know, no big deal. Right. But you try to pick this thing but, up, and you are, I mean, it's, you're hefting it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. A, it's, a, it's a chonky thing. <laughs> it's and got some chonk. The reason for this is that one of my favorite ways to just, like, lay around the house if I'm reading a book is I'll just go lay on the couch, face down. So, like, you normally- uh, What? Face down. <laughs> I'm no, no, gonna no. stop you right there. Yeah, face down. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, uh, on your, <laughs> what's that word? Prode. So, you're just, like, laying there. On your you lay on right? your stomach to read? Yeah, oftentimes. Uh, how do you? How does your? Oh, okay. Neck, so you're propped up on your elbows. Yeah, propped something. up on your elbows. How does your up? neck survive that? I have so to read on my back. If you put like a That's big pillow you're... under your chest and you got enough like lift, you know, mm, I just gotta get space there. So, yeah, for some reason, the framing of it as face down instead of laying on your stomach <laughs> just kind of. I threw you for a lift. What is I apologize. What's going um, on with this reading? Yeah, definitely not face down. Um, okay. But yeah, on on the belly with you know pillow under the chest, just read a book. And uh, this one time years ago, Diana came over and just laid as if I was a lounge chair, right? Because a person mm. who's actually sits laying in, in the position that I was laying in is essentially an ergonomic uh, chair, like what you'd see, like a one of those fancy ergonomic lawn chairs, right? Yeah. So she laid down and we were like, ha, 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 this is hilarious. And then I was like, honestly, it was great. Like the total, I, <laughs> I'm really enjoying being slightly crushed. Like this is fantastic. And so- for the holidays, she got me this 25-pound blanket. I'm yeah, because she's kind of tired of like every time you want to read a book, now she has to sit on your back. Exactly. And now she's like, like, what, oh my what God. is this? Yeah. She's got better things to do. She's got places to be. So yeah. I got this blanket, and the one concern is that it would be too damn hot, right? Uh, but this is actually – like this one's made of bamboo or something, and so it's actually like a cool – it's basically a cooling blanket that is also super fucking heavy. And my God. I love this thing. Like you just, <laughs> just pull it on and I'm just like, I'm just straight chilling all of a sudden. Like I just am slightly smiling after just sort of permanently. And then I'm just sort of, I don't know. It's just nice. <laughs> it's just nice. <laughs> it's weird to be like, yeah, I want to be coddled, you know, just, just swaddle weird me. at all. And it's like probably a, a lot cheaper than a bed jet. So we got yeah, they're still expensive. For some reason, I mean, I guess this is the thing, right? You could, if you could really solve people's sleep problems, you could charge them basically whatever, whatever you want. Yeah. It's whatever you want. So I would highly recommend it. Definitely get a cooling one, though, because apparently otherwise you will melt unless you're the sort of person who likes being extremely hot when you sleep. I also have a recommendation, a life recommendation, which is to find a multivitamin that has way more riboflavin than you need because it turns your pee highlighter yellow, which is hilarious. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I discovered this on Friday night because uh, I, I I suddenly had like a, a weird little like I, one of my facial muscles just started twitching and I was like mm, shit probably low on magnesium or or whatever some weird you some, need you know yep uh, I miscalibrated my so, molecules yeah they're miscal yeah they're they're in the wrong place or whatever yeah. so so like oh so I had my, these multivitamins I bought at at and they're just like you know random grocery store ones you know mm-hmm. um and uh, and I just took one that was that. And then that night, just like, and those was like literally two hours later, because I don't know how the how this stuff goes through you so fast. But two hours later, took a leak before bed, and I was like, "What is happening?" Because it was so <laughs> shocking, and like immediately in my mind, I was like, "Okay, but I'm dying." Yeah, well, the things that kill you that I've heard of, you know, that like fuck up with your kidneys or whatever. You were talking because now you're talking like blood in your urine, right? So you're talking mm-hmm. you're talking brown colors, you're talking red colors, talking all this stuff. But this was highlighter yellow, and like in my mind, I was like. I've never heard of this. I wasn't even worried. <laughs> it was just too weird. And then I Googled it and then figured out, you know, what it was. Um, but it was very funny. So I think it's something everybody should experience. But also, I want to take this to the next level because uh, it, it's working consistently. So, you know, I got that going for me. Uh, As in it's consistently turning your pee highlighter yellow? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so what I want to do. I'm glad that you did enough exper- like you did enough reps of the experiment. We're like, yeah, yes, hell, you're going to eat this, some this beets. This is working. Exactly. Working. So I bought some beets today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I would, I would just see. What? I just want to see what color, like what color space, can I get into? But only in healthy, like only things well, that I mean, are healthy. Though, that's right? probably gonna be. Wait, what color? What color does beets do? It's red, 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 but it's like pink. It's like pink and red. So yeah, you're probably gonna turn a neon pink, which would be yeah. amazing. Yeah. Or just kind of brown, and then you're like, that's. A, you know, I think you should do it next time you have a doctor's appointment where you know they're gonna like. Oh yeah, <laughs> this is what you do, okay? Because like you know what, uh-huh. we need a little more weird shit, a little more joy and surprise, yeah, and bring just joy like, to people's lives. Just <laughs> quietly know this is gonna happen, and don't say a fucking word. You know, just hand over the cup as it's like glowing pink. <laughs> You'll be like, "This is just how I pee." I don't know. Uh huh. Totally normal. I I feel great though. I I I got plenty of yeah rainbow flavor and beets. Yeah. But I was thinking about this, and I was like, "This is." Really weird, right? Because because this, this was within a few hours, and I was like, "This means that just biologically speaking, right?" I took took this pill, went into my small intestine because that's where everything goes into your blood, right? It all went. It's all it, it came it's out of your. Gone. It comes out of your blood, right? Like that's that's how that's the, your kidneys are f- filtering your blood. That's where all that stuff comes from. So yeah. all that stuff got in my blood, you know. And so that's also the true when you like when you eat beets and then you pee red, right? Because you got beets in your blood. You got beets now. in your blood now. <laughs> Weird. It's just so weird. Yeah, don't think about it too much. You know, it's just a little. We're just a weird filter. We're just yeah. a sieve. It's mm-hmm. uncomfortable to think about that you eat something and then it sort of just like turns into a, a pureed soup and then yeah. just goes through a bunch of tubes in your body. Well, it keeps getting weirder too because because there's some things that are skin soluble, you know. So I also learned that the that at least a subset of the molecules in garlic that you can taste that make you think of garlic, you know are skin soluble. And so if you just like take garlic and just like crush it onto your like hand or whatever, uh, and then leave it there for a few hours, this is what you don't normally do this, which is why you don't. But if you you want to do that though, then you will start to taste garlic. What? (laughs) But then it's it's even weirder because that means that garlic is in your blood. You're not tasting it on your tongue. You're tasting it. This is in like the blood some of those, that's in your tongue. It's like some of those cancer drugs I got where they're like, when we do this, you're going to get this particular flavor yeah. on your tongue. And I'm like, 
can we talk about this for a moment? And they're like, no, do not think. Too <laughs> that deep. was the one where they said like, we're putting this stuff in your blood and then you're going to taste creamed corn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It? It's is like, that, that's that such what it a specific. Like? Yes. It tasted like corn. It was the weirdest shit. There's, and there's a, a bunch specific of specific thing. Yeah. There's no corn yeah. in that stuff that they put in you. Apparently, yeah, it's got something. But it tastes like corn. Yeah, it's funny because so. people are so worried about what they put in their blood. They're like, "Oh, I can't get a vaccine because, like, what? What if it's got? It's like everything is in your blood. It's just all in there. So. You, everything you've touched has gone in your blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you may think you're you, but you're no. just a bunch of weird blood. You're mostly bacteria and weird blood. Those are that's the entirety of your being. <laughs> That is true. Isn't it like uh, nine-tenths of the cells in your body are non-human bacteria? Yeah. But, but yeah. technically they're outside your body because topologically because they're, in, they're inside your, your, col- your colon. That's true. Right? Mm. That's true. Because your colon is a, a tube. So they're on the outside the in, of your insides. Yeah. yeah and the outside, outside of, of a tube is – the inside of a tube is, is still the outside of the tube, like a Mobius strip right. as, as we all know. So, okay, I'm glad we got that squared away. Mm-hmm. Let's yep. talk about some studio news. What we got? Well, we had our quarterly meeting because it's January. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a good one. We we sat down and we were like, let's think big. Let's give ourselves some space to yeah. really explore ideas. We like to do this especially at the top of the year because, uh, one, it's after break. So usually what happens – The top is January. That's that's like – yes. Number one. Top of the yeah. – it's all downhill from here. It really is. Uh, yeah. It apparently, it <laughs> seems like it. Um, but yeah, so we, we like to start with that sort of uh, higher level stuff and trying to get get back in the space where everyone's just real pumped about what we got going on. And part of that is to figure out what do you have going on? Like what is there to be excited about, right? Uh, and so the challenge this time was – this is the first time we've had to do this in quarantine, remote. Remote. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the challenges of, of remote work on the podcast, as well as a lot of the benefits. And while we've been enjoying it quite a bit, uh, we'd identified a few things we were trying to I don't know, get sort of grapple with a bit more, uh, a bit better this year from better whiteboarding sessions with, uh, which Seth had found with, I think we talked about this last episode, Lim New, uh, doing some whiteboarding stuff. Adam and Seth got little tablets. So that we're trying that out to see if that, if that works well to solve that problem. But this it works. One, it's pretty fun. It is really fun. Yeah. This <laughs> other one is, is weirder though, which is like, how do you, how do you have a sort of more of an emotionally resonant, like rah, rah, rah sort of a thing that like, how do you kind of get people a little bit more whipped up and into like a different sort of a state than just the procedural motion of doing the production or business stuff when you're remote, because you're still in the same space, still staring at the same damn screen, et cetera. Uh, well, and something happens to, because, you know, because there's a, you know, 400 MS half second, whatever mm-hmm. latency, uh, it's harder to have rapid fire, fun, engaging discussions. So the energy levels are just a little suppressed. Yeah. You know, on remote work. And then also in a lot of cases, um, people's people's voice will sometimes just like cut out for just like a second or two. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll just kind of freeze up. Uh just stuff like that. And it kind of or, or the worst is when you have multiple people talking and for whatever reason the, the software using just picks one of them. It just nukes the other. Yeah, it just kind of garbles the rest, right? And so you end up with these just like the more people you get into a discussion like this, the the shittier the discussion becomes. Yeah, truly, it's just harder to maintain the the social dynamics. Yeah, it's like we wanted to do a little bit of work to figure out, like, okay, how how can we have a bit more of a dynamic 
moment uh, for ourselves to, to kick off the year. And so um, what we ended up doing was, was two things. So one is to achieve a better sense of a different space was we used um, Google Hangouts and kind of like with Zoom, like any one of these things, for the most part, you can swap out your background uh, in these programs. And so everyone brought a screenshot of like one of their favorite game moments. And then we use that as everybody's individual backdrop. So it was a funny thing because, again, these are all really – they're just small fucking tweaks. But uh, it did seem to make a difference in terms of like, you know, when I was, when I was looking at Adam's screen, there's the Subnautica ship in the background and like the guy standing in the pod. I look at Seth's screen and it's the gateway into uh, the out, outlands Outland. from uh, World of Warcraft, right? And it does do just a little bit of something, just a little bit. And then we did – we sort of got a – basically did almost like a pump up sort of a thing where we watched like an orchestral medley from 20, I think 18 from the game awards. So every year the game awards is this orchestral medley of the uh, best game of the year before they actually announce it. And it's just like, it's fucking awesome. Like if you, if you want to kind of get pumped up, if you make games or just like games, like just watch like three or five minutes. They're amazing. And so we watched one of those and that combination of things that it seemed to just like it just really nicely kind of catapulted us into a different conversation. Puts you in a different frame. Instead of starting off with like, okay, here's the agenda for the day. You know, you start up with something that has just an that purely just has an emotional resonance to it. Mm-hmm. I think the I think the hard part about this is the sort of almost like ironically hilarious required structure that always has to be there on a video call, which is like if this was in person, Sam, you would have just like pulled up the video on a projector in a mm-hmm. in a conference room or something and just started playing it unprompted. The problem is in a video call, you have to share your screen and then other people have to opt into watching it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you got to make sure that everybody can hear it. So there's, yeah, there's always, little- yeah. So you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Can everybody click on this? Can you share screen? Okay. Is the audio good? Is this good? Here? <laughs> and yeah, it's like true. immediately like everybody has to like work to, to see what you're getting at and be like, okay, I yeah. see where this is going. Like, yeah, I, gotta- I think that's only partly true though, because having worked with, AV equipment to try to. That is true. Yeah, I think in many ways it's more reliable actually to just screen share and also <laughs> it just works basically every time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it is true though that that the you can't you just, can't surprise people. Yeah. You like can't that, you, you know? can't yeah you can't give somebody a presentation without their consent. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike yeah. in real life where it's like no matter what people are doing, you can present. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, remember the days when you would just prank someone by just suddenly giving them a presentation? Yeah, like, oh, man. That was, that was sick. Sickest. Yeah, yeah so I think yeah. there's there's this general sort of thunder stealing, I guess, that happens in, in remote work where it's like it just kind of – you can charge it up as much as you as you can, but there's a bit of it just kind of leaking out. And so you really got to like – you got to be on your game, I feel like, to, to do this pretty effectively. It's got to be a pretty tight thing that you're running um, with some good preplanned moments to really get it, get it going. Um, I got to say hmm. – being a being a teacher and yes. trying to teach trying to teach like 20, 30 kids over Zoom, like how how? How in the <laughs> fuck would you even begin to make this interesting? I mean, I know I know many of many teachers have done a fantastic job of making this conversion. Yeah. But it had to have been unbelievably difficult. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Probably remains so, so. And yeah, yeah, I've heard all sorts of funny stories about like you know, kids are kids. And so especially the younger ones, some kids don't understand that the teacher's actually, that is a person, if that makes sense. Cause they like, they only see them through this. They don't quite understand that it's like a real person. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
There's all sorts of funny conflict. But yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I mean, frankly, everybody's transition to remote stuff certainly deserves a round of applause. I think you're right that teachers in particular, good God, bless your souls. Because I mean, already, like, I don't know how yep. in real life you control a room of 30 people who don't want to be, let's be honest, don't want to be there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And you're making them learn stuff that they definitely don't want to learn about. Yeah. Yeah. So talk talk about uh, like an effective social contract. The fact that this works at all, right? That you can teach people who don't want to learn. Right? Honestly, I was I was watching some comedy sketch the other day. And there was this, there was the teacher who was ba- the, the joke was just like the recurring joke that it was that, that the kids just kept doing stuff like talking to each other and the teacher just kept extending how long they had to stay in class and they couldn't go to lunch, right? <laughs> yeah, but then like but then eventually, it's been like 73 years and the kids are still there. Somehow they all have beards, uh, but the teacher hasn't aged somehow. <laughs> like everybody has a beard. The men and the women, they are old and they have beards. I will say, I'm sure it's very nice but, that you could just like mute people. Yeah. Yeah. You know? But I was just thinking about how like, because the teacher was just like, you can't go to lunch, Right. He just, he just says that. There's like 20, 30 kids there. He's like, you can't go to lunch now because this person was talking. And all the kids are just like, dang it. <laughs> and then they just don't go to lunch. Yep. Right? Like, what is that? Like, if somebody. That's what it is. Yeah. If somebody says to you, like, you're not, you don't get to have lunch today. What would you, like now, as a well, 30-year-old I, man. I imagine you can't tell kids they can't have lunch. That probably isn't. I don't know. Oh, this wow. maybe it's an Australian thing, but just the idea that you'd be like, you're you're in detention, you're staying after school, or you're like, you're, you're doing this, or you're doing that, and they would, they would make you do these things as punishments, but they wouldn't make you do them. They yeah, would just tell you that you're going to do them now, and then you would just go and do. Them. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely is I guess, a social contract. Yeah, but, it, it but it's also there's there's always some you know threat. There's some implied threat. You know, there are school. There it's it's if you don't do this, I will fuck your future. That's the, <laughs> yeah, right. that's true. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Every teacher's got yeah. sort of a quiet future knife hidden behind their back. They're just ready, you know. Yep. You want a suspension? Yeah. Here, ready to go? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Actually, it reminds me of a, of a story, which is horrible, but kind of interesting. Um, the I've I've had I've had one <laughs> bad interaction with both police and with school administrators, and it was at the same time. Mm. Uh, and it was when it was when one of my friends in high school was accused. Of like selling a Vic because he got he had Vicodin for like a broken arm or something, and he was accused of selling one to somebody. So I knew nothing about this. May or may not have been true. I don't know. I don't care. Uh, but because I was friends with this guy, then the principal pulled me in. I was like, oh, "You gotta tell us. You gotta tell us if this is true." And one of the school counselors was there, and whose job it is to advocate on behalf of students. And he was saying the same thing. He was like, you know, he was like, if 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 we find out that you knew about this, like it's going on your on your record and all this kind of stuff. And then they made me go to the cop shop and talk to a police officer about it. So so that the whole time like, you're like the whole time you're like, I seriously have no fucking idea. Yeah, I was, yeah, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, but, but like that was. I don't. I'm not going to suddenly. I, I can't suddenly know because you yeah. put a cop in front of me. Yeah, but it was the first time I was like, oh, there's like there's a real threat here, right? Like, like if you don't do what the school wants you to do, like they just fuck your future. That's actually the outcome. You know, it's very so, totalitarian. You know, it's very totalitarian. It's spooky. Well, and I, and I think yeah, and I think in this case too, it wasn't wasn't it that like. The accusation was not that this person was like dealing drugs, but that like a a 
pill yeah. had been exchanged or something. And it's like, yeah. this is, this is a huge problem. Like we really got to get 30 or 40 students involved in this. We got to get to the bottom of this enterprise. We're going to accuse all of our tops. Like I was, I was yeah. ranked third in the class. Yeah. You know, like straight A's never got in trouble. I think like, doesn't matter. Yeah. Drink. They really, some, some, I think, so, you know, some folks really like to wield that hammer when they, when they've got it in their hands. Yeah. But that was, so. that was the first time that I learned that police are definitely not your friend. You know, which of course we now all know, right? Very many people, <laughs> many people already knew, uh, but you know, and, and so the, sheltered, a- the sheltered life that we had, where we had a little, a literal officer friendly come brainwash us when we were children in school, you know, like. But. So there's a, a an interesting uh, lecture that you can find on YouTube by a lawyer, and it's called "Don't Talk, Don't Talk to the Police." Mm-hmm. And this guy is is taking a hard line stance as a, as a lawyer that you should. You should, under no circumstance, ever utter a single word to any member of the police, uh, no, no matter what is happening. <laughs> it's a good. That's a, that's it's a, like forty-five minutes. Stance. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And he goes into a lot of de- of explanations and details as to like how he's arrived at it. And it's I mean, it's an interesting stance. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is like you know there are people, yeah, you know, and they'll come up and they'll be like, "How you doing today?" And you want to be like. Fine. <laughs> yeah, well, and and many, many of them are nice people, right? So like, you don't yeah. want to, you don't want to be an yeah. asshole. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's I mean, it's I'm not advocating for any particular position on this, but it's definitely an interesting, uh, you know, an interesting watch. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, so we had a quarterly meeting. It was great. Mm-hmm. We dug into a lot of stuff. Um, one of the things that we talked about was was our Crashlands two kind of like where things are at with Crashlands two progress. We are a few months into sort of experimentation. R&D mode, um, working with new art styles, working with new programming techniques. The way I describe um, it is we're kind of like poking at the corners, you know? It's like figuring out what the what the parameters are going to be in the space. And that's why we've been talking about multiplayer for the last, I don't know, six weeks or so. And like figuring out yep. what where can we actually push all this stuff forward in a way that makes sense for what the studio's capabilities are. Yeah. Uh, so Adam and I had been working almost full-time on multiplayer for, for uh, much of the preceding uh, five or six weeks. And we kind of decided after all this doesn't seem like a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of a bummer because it was fun to play around with and like solve all the, all these interesting problems. You know, we kind of covered some of them on previous episodes, but once we got past the technical problems, the just initial like, ones. yeah, getting, getting the computers to talk to each other, having a, a persistent server, having reliable packets, all those fun things. Then we started bumping up against integrating this into the designs mm-hmm. of Crashlands 2. And as we started digging through the the document, the uh, the game design document that we've been building of like the vision for the game and all the things, we ke- we kept kind of running into these places in the design which is like here's our vision for the game. Note that this currently doesn't work if we have multiplayer and we'll have to figure out a different way to mm-hmm. do this. Whether it's, you know, quests or pets or inventory or, you know, what, whatever the case may be, boss fights, even just like the dynamic aspect of world generation and all this stuff. Um, every single piece of it, of the design was conflicting with the idea of multiplayer and not being augmented by it. And we had to kind of decide where to put our resources. Yeah. Well, I think a, you know? a big part of it was realizing that you know, with, with Crash Dance 2, we really do want to make a game that is that is what you consider game of the year material. 
on a, on a very broad scale. So, you know, with the original questions, it was very that that level of kind of caliber for us arrived mainly on the mobile platforms. Uh, with questions two, the goal is, is legitimately like a full, you know, everybody loves this thing and it's really fucking good. And when you really drill into like what what a lot of the experience about Crashlands was, what people took home from it, as well as even, you know, we've talked about on the podcast and even just in the past, what was the thing that made it actually all work uh, was the story. The narrative aspect, the, the humor, this constant like goofy shit, the quests and all this, all of that. And the unfortunate fact is that like telling really meaningful stories gets extremely complicated when there's either, there's basically a random number of people and they're popping in and out, right? Uh, yeah. And complicated to a point where we we sort of realize if, if you were to back up and just ask the question at the very start, which is, hey, we want to make a multiplayer game. Would you decide to make a story-driven crafting open world game? RPG. RPG. <laughs> and, and we realized like, no. No, <laughs> no we would make no, a multiplayer game first, like you know, built for that, which wouldn't do such stuff with the story and everything else. And so it's almost one of those weird things like – you know, we, we ended up having a good discussion about what what it means when when an audience asks for multiplayer. Because you see, I mean, this is like the most routine ask. Well, and we also wanted to do multiplayer. Yes, there's a reason yeah. we spent weeks exploring it, right? Uh, because it is exciting to be able to share your experience in a game, especially if you're having a really good time with other people. And so realizing that it's actually, it's not so much about wanting multiplayer so much as when someone says that like if you see a game and you're like oh my god i played stardew valley for example uh when it first came out didn't have multiplayer all you want is like i just want to experience this with someone i want somebody else, else to be on my farm with me mm-hmm. yeah you want to share the experience which it turns out you know required them to i think it was chucklefish at the time yeah yeah it took it took like a full year or was it more than a year i think it was a little over I think yeah. it was two years yeah, yeah. of a full-time contract work to get all the systems of the game working with multiplayer, right? And it's like, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. That's that's a lot, you yeah. know? And like, and, and even then, you know, it's uh, depending on the design of the game, it'll fit better or worse depending on kind of what's going on. And so the looser the structure is where there's not necessarily a, a linear structure or it's not meant to be. The more sandboxy it is or the yes. more roguelike it is. Or, or the like, more session-based. The, the less that yeah. lots of persistent uh, data matters, mm-hmm. but in particular story data. Uh, yeah, but I think, yeah, it, it was interesting though, just this question of what is multiplayer for? Uh, when is it needed? And, and does it necessarily add, right? Mm-hmm. Because we were acting under the assumption that that having multiplayer was the kind of thing that if it existed in a game, you know, in a game, then now the reach is bigger. So in part because there'll be people looking for multiplayer games, now they'll find yours. Uh, but also in part because they will share with other people, which means more people buy your games, more word of mouth type uh, marketing for your game. And there's probably some, you know, I mean, there is truth to that without mm-hmm, a doubt, right? Certainly. But is it worth the cost, right? And more importantly, does it actually, like the, the cost is not just on the dollar amount. No, but right. the cost is also on the design of the game because yeah. the game has to be designed to make that be a good experience. And if, and, and the other part of multiplayer too is that games are best if they are multiplayer or single player right? Games that are both have, that's where all the hard shit comes in, right? Because it's very hard to make an experience that feels good when you're by yourself, right? That somehow also works when you're there with other people. And, and again, that's one of those ones where the lighter, the lighter the touch can be and the interaction between mm-hmm. players, 
uh, like your Diablo and that kind of stuff, where players are basically just completely separate from each other and the story doesn't matter, right? Yeah, I think uh, Diablo Diablo 3 is kind of a, an interesting example of that because, yeah, whether you're playing it solo or in multiplayer, you're you're just doing the same stuff. And yeah. it is it is marginally more fun to have another person mm-hmm. there, but it also kind of doesn't matter doesn't that matter. they're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that's maybe, like, maybe at the, like the upper echelons of difficulty it does, but I haven't experienced uh, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so when a game, yeah, so certain kinds of games, you know, make more or less sense for multiplayer, but but yeah, so the, the, so the cost is not just in doing the work, it's also in the design, which players don't really think about, and we weren't thinking about, honestly, right? Uh, but well, we just got we, pumped about the technical challenge, and then we the did, idea yeah. that the idea that like if we just overcome these technical challenges, we just have we just have it now. We just have mm-hmm. multiplayer, now. right? Which is you know true technically, right? But not not true from a design standpoint. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, it was it was interesting, and, and that that whole idea because we also had this discussion when talking about potentially moving to three D and all these other things, right? It's there are certain things that when you change certain aspects of a game that if you change and this could also be true just true of some feature that you really want, mm-hmm. right? Um, that so fundamentally changed the design or so fundamentally, fundamentally changed the financial cost because it kicks out the timeline, right? Uh, that that the question of whether it's worth it is really, really, really important, right? And and I think for multiplayer, for Crashlands 2 specifically, um, I think it is just is true that it's not worth all the design changes we'd have to make to make it work. And it's also not worth the financial cost that it would add. The game you would get out at the end of the day wouldn't, I don't think it would feel like a sequel to Crashlands. Does that make sense? Um, Just kind of be some other thing. It'd be some other thing, which again, like could be something we, like we, we've talked about, we talked about a bunch of other ways after that to explore multiplayer in the future. Uh, but those would basically be, you know, more, more of spinoff titles, like a Quadrupus Rampage, for example, phenomenal Phenomenal game to do like a multiplayer thing. Because it's just Diablo. It's basically yeah. just Diablo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you yes. could do like a Crashlands version of that and it'd be super fun as long as that's a framing. But yeah, for, for a big sort of show-stopping sequel, if we were to make the design changes that would actually be required here, then it just wouldn't be Crashlands at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think the last interesting sort of thing that we landed on was the, just the problem of resource allocation, which is, you know, right now we've got one game programmer, which is me. And just about everything that goes into the game ends up going through the game programmer for implementation, right? And so, you know, we've got we've got Fat Bard, you know, working on sounds. We've got Sam over here working on art. And then Adam and I were collaborating on multiplayer stuff. And <clears throat> during that entire time that we were working on multiplayer, nothing else could get in to the game, right? Because all of my uh, time was going into that. And so there's all this like amazing art and this like world development and stuff that that Sam was unable to get feedback on and unable mm-hmm. to iterate really strongly on because we just we, we didn't have the the manpower you know to get it into the game at that time. Yeah, although so, that in that particular case, that's also you know a phase of development problem since yeah. since we had no aspects of multiplayer at all and had to build all of it into an existing game. Yeah. Then, yeah. yeah, but uh, it's it's a, it's just about sort of respecting your constraints because if, if we had two game programmers, then there's a chance that we would have been able to divvy up the work in such a way yeah. mm-hmm. that you know one of us could have focused on multiplayer game systems and stuff and integrating those, and another person could focus on implementation of, of yeah. stuff. But then you only have one of me, right? And then mm-hmm. my yep. job once we got the 
the stuff of just having the client talk to the server, get that, which is the, that's the, actually the easy part of multiplayer. So anybody who's out there being like, oh, multiplayer is so easy, I can do it in a weekend. It's like, yeah, that's the part you can do, that, that piece. Right? <laughs> Exchanging data is not difficult. Yeah. It's everything and, else. And, right, and getting that to work in the context of an existing game, actually, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's the, the first hard part, right? And then the second hard part is dealing with scale and dealing with the internet. Um, and so, so it really would have been the case that a, like at least a year of my time, um, you know, more or less full time would have gone into developing all of the architecture that we need to, that we would have needed to, to run all of that. Yeah. So, so, so what happens have, if somebody in Australia it, is playing with somebody from Canada, how do we manage the latency, find servers? What happens if a hundred thousand people play at the same time? Can we handle that? Mm-hmm. Et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. yeah, and once of course, yeah. once and the problem with with scale, which is one of the one of the frustrating things about scale, like uh, on in modern days for doing cloud based stuff. But it's one of the cool things is that if you can do if you can do two things, you can do a million, right? That's like that's and that's not quite true, but it's al- it's almost that. Right? <laughs> but being able to do two things is really fucking so hard, much harder you know? than one. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so hard. Yeah, and, yeah uh, I'd say that the yeah. the jump from one to two is just as hard as the jump from zero to one. Yep. Yeah. You know? And it's each jump too, right? Because it's like we have to jump from one to two, being able to run, you know, two different instances of things managing game sessions, right? And then we also have to now do that in different regions, so so different data centers, and we have to be able to, and then each one has to be managing itself independently, right? And I'm going to go to the list of problems that we have to deal with because it was going to be very interesting, <laughs> definitely. Uh, yeah, and it would have been fun, but it would have it would have consumed the entirety of my time. And so, that, so this is now an also interesting consequence of this, which is that. Now development of the game will go faster because all the stuff that far everything is easier to deal with when you don't have the multiplayer layer to also deal with, right? Uh, and uh, my time now suddenly is just basically available to do to do other stuff. Um, so it's it's a very interesting outcome of, yeah. of this decision. So although although like I said, we are we are a bit bummed that it. It's, you know, it's bummed in the general sense, though, right? It's like it's not- yeah. Well, it's you know, you spend five or six weeks working on a thing, thinking like maybe this, maybe this will go, and then you get to the end, you're like, actually, this is a terrible idea. I, right? I think, <laughs> no, I think it's just the emotional sense because because there's something about multiplayer, like like you were saying, and, and I'm actually not sure that we've even figured out how to articulate it because I don't think I don't think we truly fully know ourselves. But there's something about the idea of multiplayer that's like it's very it's romantic, it's romanticized, right? Uh, of like being able to make it so that people can hang out. Like when me and Seth were working on it and we, we had a remote server and we had a world and we were both running around. You can see our little names above our heads. We were like chopping down trees, right? Uh, well, it, literally all we could do was run around. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, we, I we were chopping. <laughs> I described the full set of things that happened. Yeah. Uh, and, well, we were chopping down trees, but neither of us could see the other one chopping down trees. Cause that's no. a system we hadn't, <laughs> but we could see the health of the tree going down, you know, so we had that going for us. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but like, it just felt like it felt like the seed of something that just romantically sounded so cool, you know, and so, so like fantastic. And that, that idea, I think, cause I think, uh, this a lot of the stuff that like really sticks in our experiences with games is like the multiplayer experiences we have with people who we really care about, right? And so I think a lot of it is just the idea of like we have so many memories tied up in the idea of multiplayer that that even when it because it multiplayer never made sense for crash lands. We just didn't stop earlier to think about that. Um, well, we, we just we wanted did, it. I in think there. we wanted it so bad that it was like we'll <laughs> figure it out. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But I think and, and but this is giving me some new perspective on all the players who've been always asking for multiplayer, like for original crash. Yeah, I get it. Right. It's like, it doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense because it's, it's an, it's purely an emotional thing. Like you just mm-hmm. want it. Cause, cause you, there's, there's, 
this this aspect of it. And so it's going to be really annoying when Crash and Suit comes out, and the only thing we ever see is people asking about multiplayer. That's still true, but I you do this, feel like I get it. You what know? this makes me think of, for some reason, I know this. I know this guy. He's an older older gentleman in his sixties. He's retired, and he always talks about how someday he's going to buy a motorcycle and just go out and just drive and drive and drive across the country, right? And uh, this guy doesn't even drive his own car. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got people to do that for him. <laughs> and he it's, loves his comfort. romantic part. Yeah. yeah. And so like nothing about this actually makes sense given the context that this discussion is happening in. But there's still this thread of a – Wistfulness, you yeah. Know, well, I think this like, is, this God, is that would be so great. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and I think that that kind of particular dream too is something that that TV does does to us so effectively because because in TV shows and movies, like people don't sweat, right? They don't look like they're squinting into the sun. You know, the whole thing. They so don't like, get hit in the face by a big grasshopper. Yeah, you don't really. And see then them be like, eaten by oh mosquitoes. god. Yeah. I have to poop real bad, but I'm yeah. on this motorcycle. Like I don't know where I can stop, <laughs> and I'm in all this leather. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're not, they're not hot as far as you can tell, right? Yeah, because like yeah. It's, it's like you see like the cool fucking clothes people are always wearing on TV too, right? Like such, such fucking cool clothes. But then I'm always sitting there thinking like I can like I'm wearing a t-shirt and I'm basically on fire. Yeah, all the time, and then right? like how does that how do yeah like how does how does that leather smell after yeah. a year? And also like. You know, on TV, they're never going to cut away to that person's like work, like going through their insurance bill and being like, "Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, oh, what yeah. have I got myself into?" You know, I know it always it conveniently chops out all the stuff that you would sort of like actually have to be dealing with. Mm-hmm. But we talk about in, in games and in design in particular, the idea of killing your darlings is a concept from writing that's easy to borrow in this concept in this in this context, right? Which is there's always things when you're making. When you're making something that you just love. You love it. And you want you to keep it no matter it. what. Yep. You're just like, I will sacrifice everything for this. But mm-hmm. at some point, you really need to take a step back and be like, does this make any sense? And you see this, this in right games all time. the time. Because so much of people making games, it's 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 out of a labor of love of some sort. Yeah. You know, where they've had this dream of the game they wanted to make. Or or they see the artistry of the thing that they're doing. And there's like a, there are aspects of it that, that they conceived of that are very important to them. And and this is where you end up with with you know indies in particular because uh, they don't have investors who are necessarily breathing down their neck uh, who spend seven years ten years right making a thing because they're like they're butting up against the conflict between the dream and reality mm-hmm. uh, and and they can't they can't they they'll adjust everything except for the dream right <laughs> and so so it's uh, it's it's this reminds me of the antechamber GDC talk yeah. It was was it called like a an overnight success seven years in the making. Yep. Yeah. And that because here's the thing, like this this is a trap, right? Like yes. the idea of of getting so attached to an idea that you sort of sacrifice everything to try to make it happen instead of just being like, maybe I'll just do something else. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I remember, yeah, in that talk, uh, that guy just, I mean, he had a hell, hell of a time, time yep. building really this bad. game, and uh, it it kind of crushed many aspects of his life, you know, for a long time. So anyways, uh, so we're not doing it. We're not doing multiplayer. <laughs> Deal with it. We're going to make it an awesome game. We're going to whole ass the vision of the game and we're not going to half ass two things. You know, we're not going to half ass multiplayer and half ass the vision. Mm-hmm. We're just going to make the game as we think it should be. Um, and I think it's going to be pretty dang good. Uh, 
last little bit of studio news is we got a new newsletter in the works. Oh, yeah. New- yeah. Talk about it, Adam. I forgot we still had things left. I was like, oh, man, we've been going for a long time. <laughs> we sure have. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I was, I, I mentioned in a prior episode, prior episode that I was wanting to start writing more this year and, and do more sharing of knowledge, you know, and a key problem has been that I'm into a, a variety of stuff where there's no one place where it belongs, you know, uh, but the stuff is basically the stuff we talk about on the podcast. It's, you know, it's kind of miscellaneous, but it's technically whatever, uh, but it would just get deeper. Um, and then I was like, this is just a new, this is a newsletter problem, right? Cause then people can just sign up if they're interested in the same rough assortment of shit that I'm into, right? Instead of trying to like find a platform where it's like, here's my people, you know, and like put stuff there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I burned down one of our old newsletters, which was for a Rumpus Community Edition because we're not using it. Uh, so anyone who's on that will have received an email a couple days ago, your time when the podcast comes up, uh, about that. Um, and starting a new one that I'm calling oh. Dev Chat. Of note, Rumpus CE is still in use. Oh yeah, Rumpus CE is still fine. We're just not doing the newsletter. Just not the newsletter because it's because it's sort of like it's in a frozen state. Um, So yeah, but I'm calling it Dev Chat just because I needed a name. It's experimental. I don't really know what it's going to turn into exactly, but it's going to be just kind of the same sort of topics that we cover here, but more more on the technical stuff, more a lot more programming stuff, Uh, and then and then going deeper. So how do you sign up for it? So to sign up for it, you can go to tinybs.co slash devjet. Nice. Yeah. tinybs.co slash devjet. Just a little bit of BS to spice yep. up your week, you know? Yeah. The tiny BS is our, our in-house URL shortener. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a know, URL shortener for exactly You got to have you yeah. got to have one because it, otherwise, what are you doing? You know? Um, you yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. Uh, and I have now, this weekend, I've just been like putting down idea after idea of like all the articles that I want to write, and then consequently the newsletter content that I want to put together. Um, so things gonna be fun. Get in there. Get in. Get there. in there. All right. Well, I think it's time for us to get on to some questions. Uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Highest upvoted question comes from Jumping Up Jesty Bonk, who says. Adam mentioned the discovery of ClickUp in a recent episode. Did your team decide to make the switch? If so, how was the transition experience? Uh, yes, and ongoing. Um, yeah, <laughs> are, are the two answers. Uh, so, so ClickUp basically anything that Monday does does ClickUp can do better, as that old song from mm-hmm. the Nike commercial or whatever the fuck, uh, as that goes. Uh, and I think the its only relative flaw is it's a little slower, um, but everything else it does. So be better, especially for technical stuff. Um, As in, you can sometimes see it crunching a thing. Yeah, you'll, be can, like, you'll click on a thing and you be like, "I want to change the status," and then it there's like a takes yeah. a, a slight moment yeah. where so it there's, flips over. There's some of that. This, so that's the only thing I'm worried about with the full transition. But uh, but yeah, so we, we can't do it into because we have automations and stuff that have to go along with it. In particular, stuff that's connected to Rumpus. Um, so we've talked in the past about our game versions board that. As our builds go out, the board lights up with the status of the builds and they're processed through QA and all that stuff. Uh, so currently that's all on Monday. And so, and then same with our feedback. Uh, so when, when, when everybody leaves us comments in our feedback system, the way that they get into our system is we just click a little button and it gets uploaded into, into Monday. So stuff like that, I have to, I have to go basically hook up the ClickUp API to Rumpus, get all the, fe- the features in there, and then we can do a full uh, rolled after that. So and and I will we, say because we're doing multiplayer, then I haven't had no time to do it yet. Yeah. But now you do. Yep. 
I will say though that we had some assumptions about how we were going to be using ClickUp and how it was going to work. Um, and so the initial inkling was to just, you know, hit the button that sort of auto imports your entire Monday setup over to ClickUp. Um, it turns out that would have been a huge mistake because ClickUp is just, it's just different enough that if you're already using Monday, you may want to just set things up a bit differently in ClickUp. Yeah. So uh, definitely just go use it. It's free to, it's free to use and check out. Yeah. So free, I think they have a whole free tier, right? Yeah. Sure. So just go start using it uh, with your projects or whatever and see how it works for you. And well, I think that is the kind biggest of you need. Yeah. That is the biggest advantage it has on Monday is that Monday has no free tier. Um, and even worse than that, they don't even have a solo person tier. There's just, you can have Businesses. a trial and then there's, you could be a business with a minimum of three people. <laughs> that's, because as we all know, that's how large businesses are. Yep. They're always at least three people. There's no. <laughs> This is just thing as a sole proprietorship. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, so far, so good. We are definitely enjoying it. It's a very versatile tool. So check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Next question comes from Goose Slammer Magic Amber. Is that a Goose Slammer or a Goose Slammer? Goose Slammer. Okay. I'm okay. Slam Slammer. some goo. Yeah. Hey, guys. I have listened to over half of the podcast, and I want to know what happened to Absolute Units? Seth's personal project space game. <laughs> is Seth still working on it? Will it be put on itch.io? So it kind of died with the GameMaker 2.3 transition. I haven't migrated it over. Um, I'm hesitant to keep going with it because I keep thinking like, does any does anybody else want to play this? <laughs> because it's so yep. dumb. Like, Oh, but I, like, but what, I found were you making it for other people to play or are you making it for yourself to make? I was making it just because I thought like, okay. So I, I've been watching The Expanse, right? And they have these spaceships that have a, a thing called an Epstein drive, which is like a type of a rocket engine that's just very efficient, right? So they can they can go real fast and accelerate for a long time and go across the solar system. And I just had kind of a question of like, what would that – feel like to just kind of like how long would this really take like if you wanted to leave the solar system and you could accelerate at like 1g you know so that if you were in the ship that it would just feel like you're standing on earth because the ship is you know accelerating at the, mm-hmm. the gravity of earth how long would that take right and so i just i made it in this absolute units game this was like one of the last things i did before i walked away from it i just made a ship that accelerates at 1g and I just pointed in some direction and just started accelerating and then just kind of let it run for hours <laughs> and and hours and hours. And then looking at, and and looking you, at you chose one G with the idea that like then if people were on it, they could just be comfortable. They could just be hanging out and just, just living their out. lives and they would have gra- they would have artificial gravity and everything's fine. Um and I had a little, I have a little breakdown on there that just says like, how fast are you going? How fast are you going relative to the speed of light? Mm. Um, how long at this speed would it take you to leave the solar system? Blah, blah, blah. And after accelerating for just hours and <laughs> hours, uh, I came back and looked and it's like, oh yeah, at this speed that you're going now, which is of course now like, Hundreds of and hundreds of thousands or millions of miles per hour, or whatever, or uh, whatever the case may be. Then, oh yeah, it'll take you like a several months 
(laughs) to get out of the solar system. And so I kind of hit the point where like, you you can keep accelerating, but like basically to play this game, you would have to plot a course somewhere and then just just like come back in like three weeks. Yeah, if, you're, if you're doing it as a if you're doing it as a simulation, then that's true. Yeah, because that was the the vision of the game was like, what if one pixel was one meter? Yeah, and I could well, just let's make like, it even better slash worse. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is now our first multiplayer title. <laughs> All right, so now it'll you're be in like space. No Man's Sky, yeah, where it's like <laughs> space is so big. It's, so big. it's true. So like you've never seen anybody else, so it'll be really easy for us to manage multiplayer. Uh, but <laughs> We'll let you communicate with each other you know, somehow, however that's – whatever like in-game claim about how that works. Right? You know, lightwave technology. You, just, you point you – point Well, no. You have to have delays. You have exactly. to have time that's, that's what I yeah. So now we build the delays into it though where, where if you broadcast a message, right, then we figure out like where you are when you broadcast it, right? And then we figure out where everybody else is, right? Kind of predict where they're going to be. And then we like set a timer for how long it's going to take. And we can update that timer based on the original point as people move and stuff, you know. But, but so, so if you, if like, if you're on Earth and somebody else is on Mars, it's going to take eight minutes to get that, to get that. Or right. 20, depending on sort of the, yeah, depending on where you're at. <laughs> yeah. So, like, so yeah. we can just well, so do yeah. the whole so, thing. So, this was the problem of like, the, I mean, the idea of the game was basically just like space is big. That was kind of the core <laughs> idea behind the game. Yeah, but how do you make that fun? How do you make that fun other than like, other than kind of the the goofy joy of being like, I'm going to accelerate for like the next 16 hours and just see sort of how fast I'm going yeah. and how long, you know. And then you look and you're like, oh my God, I'm like 0.001% of the speed of light right now. And it's still going to take <laughs> the other, months to go anywhere. The other enormous problem you're going to have with a game like this is dealing with numbers because... Yeah, well, that was, that was my my issue too. Yeah, I think that's like I the had number to, one problem with this game. I, I, fi- I solved some of it where like I had, to, I broke this, the solar system up into sectors, you know, and each sector is like 100 thousand or eight sectors a hundred by a hundred kilometers. So it's ten thousand square kilometers. And that was enough that I could get enough numbers in that I could kind of like recreate local space as you move. But the problem mm-hmm. is like when your ship is moving at that speed, I mean it is it is moving. It is moving at that speed, right? And because I I don't know how much our listeners know about computer numbers, but there's a thing called a float, a floating point precision value which basically says like a computer when a computer has a number it's got sort of like so many digits that it can have and with a float you can move the decimal into different places and you can get bigger numbers but with less precision, precision. right because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you can have like this, you have, there's like a there's a certain number of possible numbers available to you not not numbers like the number 100 but like how many slots there are to put a number right? yeah yeah uh, this is just a thing about computers right yeah and so so i kind of ran into that thing where like my ship was going so fast that you know very quickly i'd be like a million pixels away from zero and the ship is just like Flopping around on the screen because because the computer can't handle the precision of what the ship is trying well, yeah, to do. Yeah, because you can no longer add one meter. 
Right. Yep. You can't add a meter anymore. Well, that never because because now a meter actually is, is a rounding error in the context of that. Yeah. Of that. So instead, your ship is kind of doing this weird floppy dance. Um, so, yeah. so another another reason that I was like, yeah, I'm not going to keep going on this game was because I realized that the only solution would be to somehow not move your ship at all. Yeah. It would all have and to be move and move the entire solar system itself. <laughs> Which Whereas sounds like, like it that, should be harder, but apparently is well, the way. I, it's the way to do it, but that sounds like a lot of work, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yep. You know, moving the entire solar system. So anyways, uh, that's kind of where that's at. So if enough people come banging down my door being like, I want to play this stupid game that has no point <laughs> and takes six months to do anything, then like, yeah, maybe I'll, I mean, maybe I'll pick it up again. I mean, there is, uh, what's that game? Everything, you know? Have you, did you... Mm-hmm. And there's also Universe Sandbox, right? Mm-hmm. Which but their whole thing have, is they have stuff going on. Though. Yeah, you do. You do stuff. In you those kinda, games. I mean, we're talking kinda. a game where all you're going to do is plot a course or like turn on your throttle, point in a direction, hmm. and, then and then just leave. let your computer run roguelike. for a month. <laughs> it's a roguelike. It's a roguelike because you you set up your ship, you get ready, you get you get your people in there. You like you have to pick the right ones, right? So you pick your people. You get your goods in there, right? And then now it's RimWorld. You just hit the button, go, right? And yeah. uh, so now you're now you're flying through space. Now, now you're basically now the rest of the world doesn't matter. All that matters is what's inside the ship, right? As, as you're trying to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. And now now it's just a story because like as you, if you think of all of the like the the sci-fi where they sort of respect physics, right? Where where mm-hmm. people are in space and they're just like, yeah, we're just on this ship together by ourselves for the next nine months or for the next ten years or whatever, right? And so the entirety of like the drama and the stuff just takes place, you know. That right actually there. would be a very fun game if it was yeah. if if the context was you you embark and you're sending a colony ship or something, and, and you can steer it. Like you're in the you're in the universe. Like you, you can just let you like go wherever you want to, right? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. yeah, then you just have like on ship. You got some drama going on, but that, now that actually makes it a lot ship. more interesting if there are other people in the game. Well, this right? is why space games are always either about what's happening on the ship or they're. About they're about planets, planet hopping, because yeah. otherwise space is a big fucking empty void. Who cares? You know? Yeah. Could you imagine they're like trying to get now? Now let's say that is multiplayer, and you got two players, right? Yeah. And they're trying to they're trying to get to each other, right? And each yeah. one's going like a million kilometers per hour, coming from different places, right? In different and directions. In different directions. <laughs> they're, and they're trying to get they're trying to get to a common point, right? Yeah. Except and here's the thing, like, you, and this this is why this is why the stuff NASA does is just. Fucking mind it's amazing yep. because because what you would have to do then is you would have to get to a point where you're both going the same direction at the same speed in the mm-hmm. same place. Yep. So so it's like yeah, it's fine that you're both going a million kilometers an hour because you're next to each other and you're both pointing in the same direction. So relatively, you'd look out there and it's as if neither Nobody of you is moving. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nobody's moving, right? But uh, that's of course well, not what's really happening no because yeah what you'd have to do is basically like one of you would have to fly and then slow down and stop and then start going the other way but to exactly matching the trajectory of the other person and then accelerate so that by the time you to get catch to the speed them. that they're going that they have caught you right and then you're just like yeah yeah and there's a bunch of there's a bunch of cool scenes one of the things i appreciate about the expanse is whenever a ship is arriving somewhere it's always pointing away 
because it's decelerating. Uh, right? Yeah. Like no other every other space show yeah, is like look first. they're like look it's an airplane and the ship comes in with its engines pointing the opposite direction of yep. the thing it's going toward which would mean that it's accelerating toward the toward the thing, right? So they they've nailed that but yeah, I mean when I was playing this this little game that I made it's like yeah, you have to do that, right? Like if you want to, if you wanted to meet up with someone in space, you'd have to go faster than them for a while in that direction. Then flip your ship around backwards, and then slow down by pointing your engine at them, you know, <laughs> and yep. burning it that way for a while. What so, if you made it so that uh, that if you did if you did leave the game, that it would respond to real time, you know, so that you could then just come back, right? And then you would be like, oh, so like if you came back two months later and turned the game on again, you would be two months further on your journey. Yeah, you're like halfway to Alpha Centauri by now because yeah. you've been accelerating the whole time. Yep. <laughs> and now you're like, shit, I got to turn around. And then two months later. Well, that play, that it's almost like a Tamagotchi version of space exploration. Well, right? I, I mean, yeah. but that's the thing. It kind of if, – if you wanted to make a space game yeah. where basically the one, the one difference between the real world and this space world is that fuel doesn't matter. Like if that was the one change, then you could make a real-time space game. But it would still be the case that everything would take forever. You know, forever. Yeah. So I think the only way to do it would be to make it Tamagotchi style where you start something and then you just kind of check back in <laughs> three set, days set later. A calendar <laughs> See, right for yourself. Right. See if your crew's still alive, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, they're not. They died. <laughs> so anyways uh, – yeah, so hope, hope that answers the question. I think that's all the time we have uh, for this week. Thanks for thanks for asking about absolute units. I love talking about it, even though I abandoned it. <laughs> uh, uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together, and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the podcast archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.